Good morning. He is risen. Wow, you guys are, are alive. That's wonderful. He is risen indeed. Who was here last night? Anyone? A bunch of us. We had a wonderful time in the encounter night last night. And uh, just God really moved powerfully. And it was great just to see, you know, people getting set free and people getting just the life of God put in them. And it was a wonderful time of worship as well. And just the prophetic being ministered. But we want to welcome all of you who are visiting with us. My name is Clayton. And uh, actually, this lady who was leading the worship over here is my wife, Jen. And, uh, yep, you get a hand. It's wonderful. And um, I tell you, the amount of people we've had that didn't know we were married that came and say, "Uh, I just felt God gave me, like, you know, something to say to you. And strangely, that lady who was doing that, I'm like, yeah, that's my wife. They were like, oh, that makes sense. So, So, welcome. It is good to have you. And I wonder if you could turn on your Bibles to Luke 24, if you have a Bible, or push the button on your iPad or phone, or for those of you who have the Scripture memorized, just flip it up, you know, into your your mind. I need a Bible. And I just want to read the two portions of Scripture that we're here to, in a sense, celebrate today. It says here, Luke 24, verse 1, it says, 1 to 7, Now on the first day of the week, Very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found a stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. How many times did he tell them? I'm going to go, I'm going to die, I'm going to be right. Many times. He, He told them metaphorically, and then he told them literally, over and over. So when the Lord speaks to us, and then it you know, happens, and we're like, I just don't understand. You're not alone. It says they were confused. They didn't understand. It says they were perplexed. They were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, obviously angels. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how, you see the angels are like, remember, like, remember, remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise again. They're like, yeah, he told you for real, you know. Let's go to Matthew 28, read it again. It's just a wonderful, just to read it. It says here, Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, that's important. We may touch on that later. As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary, and Ma- uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Remember that. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. That means in the Bible, they were slain in the spirit. They were laying down. But the angel answered and said to to the woman, Do not be afraid. I've always loved this scene. There's like these Roman hardened soldiers, and the angel comes and and then he just like leaves them and speaks. I just find it very funny. He's like, don't worry about them. 
But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and quickly, and go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And indeed, He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. So simple. I have told you. So today, we're going to tell a story. You're going to do a little bit of work. I'm going to ask you some questions maybe. But can we just pray? It's wonderful. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you what we celebrate today. And it is a celebration. It is glorious. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for you, Holy Spirit, are the only one who can carry this truth into a human heart. And so I pray that your word would come alive today in our hearts and in our minds and bring change and bring hope and bring life in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm gonna, we're going to cover Genesis to Revelation. Going to be here for many days. So get, get ready. No, we won't. But Job, many, many years, he was actually the, chronologically uh, the first guy. He lived before Moses. Moses wrote of the, f- the first five books of the Bible. But Job lived before him, really near the beginning. And Job asked a question thousands of years before Christ came. If mortal man dies, can he live again? It's a great question. If mortal man dies, can he live Again, that question is still being asked today. Well, Jesus comes along and says this to Martha. He answers the question. He says in John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Life after death. You know, there's three questions that will come up in a person's heart during their life. A child at some point will ask, where did I come from? That's being challenged now. In the middle of a person's life, they'll ask, what am I doing here? When they realize that nothing else fulfills. And then towards the end of a person's life, and I've had people ask me this, where am I going? What's next? As the curtain begins to close, they start to sense it. What did he say? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die, meaning those who are alive when he returns. Do you believe this? He actually asked him straight, and he's asking you that today. Do you believe this? It's important. Why is it so important? Well, salvation itself hinges on that question. Do you believe it? A lot of people, they quote, you know, the quick, you know, little chapter, a little verse of Romans 10, if you believe in your heart um, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. But that's actually not what it says. It says this, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, in other words, that Jesus is Lord, in other words, that Jesus is who He said He was, if you confess with your mouth that, that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, bodily, physically, raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation hinges on this one thing, the resurrection. So the question will come up if you're a person that is not familiar with the church, or the, and there are many, not familiar with church and ease, or, you know, 
that kind of language. My mother and father, a couple of years back, they went to visit a distant relative down in South Africa, and um, there was a gentleman and his wife. She had never heard Jesus, church, anything, and she said, you're like a priest or something. And um, he said, yeah. And, uh, and somebody were talking about being born again, and they say, yeah, so that you can be saved. And she's like, saved from what? It's a great question, because we just get so used to the, saved from what? Well, why does man need to be saved? What's wrong with the world? There is something wrong. Something's wrong. So why does man need to be saved? Why does he need a rescuer? Why does he need a savior? And the simple, simple answer is one word, sin. But that word has been misunderstood by so many. So I call it the condition of death, which we can explain. Death has always been with us. Death and taxes, right? <laughs> it's the condition of death. You know that death is total in every generation, and this may sound a strange way to say it, and I'm not trying to make trauma less, but war doesn't increase death. It may speed it up in that generation, but in every generation, everyone dies. It's total. And death has always been with us. And because it's always been with us, people don't, in a sense, ask, where did it come from? Because it's all we've known. Where did it come from? Well, for this, we go to the source of the problem, Genesis 2, verse 15 to 17. Then the Lord, and I'm going to do this a little bit as fast as I can, then we're going to talk about the resurrection. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. We all know this. Many of us know this. But then look. Look what the enemy says, what the devil says. Genesis 3. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. You know that whenever the enemy speaks, he, <laughs> he lies. Someone said, That's correct. You pass. Whenever the enemy speaks, he makes what he says sound a little bit like the truth. It's like if I had to, and it's happening a lot right now in the world. If I had to, you know, say, you know that, that saying, a needle in a haystack. Well, those two are very different, hay and a needle. But if I had to take a needle and throw it in a room filled with a million pins, it looks the same, feels the same, but it's not the same. That's what the enemy does. He says, you will not surely die. And when they, the fall of man, they didn't suddenly die. Death entered, but they didn't, in a sense, drop dead. He says, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That phrase, your eyes will be opened, very interesting phrase. We sang about it actually earlier, that your eyes will be opened. Because in the New Testament, it uses that to describe salvation. It says, then their eyes were opened. And in verse 7, if you carry on in reading in Genesis, it says, she saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise, and she took it and she ate, and it says, and their eyes were opened. But they were opened from life to death. They saw something. And they realized they were naked. We know the story. So, with sin, with the fall of man, when man obeyed the devil, 
when man was deceived by the enemy, we have to understand the Bible says that whatever you obey becomes your master. You become a slave to that which you obey, Romans. So as they did this, they took on the enemy's eyes for God. This was, it really helped me to understand this years ago. It was a revelation to me. They started seeing God through the enemy's eyes. The Lord had given them absolutely no reason to be fearful. There had never been anyone that had disobeyed. They hadn't, didn't understand anything of discipline. Nothing like that. No one had ever. And yet they, they feared and they hid. Why? Who was the only one there that feared the Lord? The enemy. And as they obeyed and as they were deceived and there was the fall of man, they took on the enemy's eyes for the Lord. And when he came to walk with them, they hid away and they were afraid because their new master was afraid. So, what happened? Well, everything changed, as we know. Everything changed. Something changed that we don't fully understand. I believe personally, and this is not what I'm talking about, but that they were physically shining because the Bible says that in Psalm 100, I think it's 105 and 106 that God is clothed with light as with a robe, and they were made in His image and His likeness. And they, in a sense, the glory of God emanating from mankind, the chief of God's creation, and they sinned, and something changed, and fellowship was cut, and presence was cut, and they realized they were naked. Everything changed, just like that. But it's what happened. There's two things that entered with sin very quickly. There's many, but two major things. The first one, wages. By that I mean death. He said, you shall surely die. What does Romans 6.23 say? For the wages of sin is death. So death entered. We know that they did not drop dead. But death came into the earth so that even though they didn't drop dead then, they would certainly perish physically. And we also know spiritually they died. Their, their fellowship, their access, the presence of the Lord, the speaking with the Lord, face-to-face as with a man, everything, that stopped. But also physical, even decay, all of that entered. And the Bible actually says that in Romans 5, it says, Therefore, just as through one man, speaking about Adam, as through one man, sin entered the world. Why? Because that one man had been given, or that one couple, had been given charge and authority over the earth. And when authority opens the door, enemy can come in. Hello. Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Romans 5, 12. It's like, the Bible says the sting of death is sin. Death is the bee, the wasp, the hornet, and it stings you and injects, in a sense, sin. And through that sin hit itself, death comes through. It's like I'm injecting myself because the end of sin is death. That's the end of that road is always death. The end of sin is always death. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, it's always death. This is a good news day. We'll get there. People are like, gee, this is, this is not what I came for. But it's very, very important. It's the condition of death. And every person born on the earth since then is born. The Bible has this 
this truth, this concept that the Bible speaks of throughout the Bible of being in Adam or in Abraham or in Christ. And everyone born physically on the earth is born in a sense under, through Adam, in Adam. They're born with a nature that is bent and marred and twisted. Yes, made in God's image, absolutely. But the image of God in them has been bent and twisted and they're born. The Bible even says in Ephesians 2 that you are born dead. It's kind of a strange. You are born dead in sin. Because the end of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And so we are born with a, a nature. Billy Graham used to say, I love Dr. Graham, he used to say that sin is like a disease, an incurable disease. It's like a disease, but it infects you with death. Does that make sense? What else entered? Secondly, wisdom. It says, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says, God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. It says, she saw it was desirable to make one wise. So it's talking about, and so, so she ate, and it says, and their eyes were opened. Wisdom, but not godly wisdom. Fallen human wisdom. Fallen wisdom. And that wisdom, in a sense, has one thing at the center. Self. Me. And man began to sit on the throne of his own heart. I am in charge. Me. My rights. My voice. My opinion. My me. And that started in the garden. They weren't thinking like that before. And we all think like that to some degree. If you've ever had children in your home, you know it. It's mine. No, it's mine. It's mine. Adults do the same thing. This stuff is just more expensive. <laughs> but that, that phrase, knowledge of good and evil, it's not like right and wrong. It is actually in the Hebrew talking about from good to evil. It's full knowledge. You will have full knowledge. And that's what happens in God's, in the heart of man. They're like, I don't need God. It's the actual chief sin. I don't need the Lord. What is the first action that they took in the garden? The first thing they did after the fall. First thing. People say they ran and hid. No, first thing. They made clothes out of leaves to try and cover the problem. The word atone, to atone, actually means to cover and it's like, we don't need you. We're good. We'll sort this problem out. We got it. We'll just cover it up. We have full knowledge, don't you know? The enemy told us you were holding out on us. We have full knowledge. We know what's right. That's why so many people just, if you live a good life, if you just live a good life, you know, your truth, if you just live a good life, you'll be fine. Oh, there's no understanding that they can't. You can't. I myself, I don't, I don't need you, Lord. I'm fine. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, meaning mankind. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it's the way of death because it's coming from the wisdom, the fallen wisdom, and the center of that makes a person think, I myself can fix it. That's a thought. I can fix it. I can sort it out. I can do it. I don't need the Lord. I don't need a Savior. It's my truth, what I think. I'm on the throne. I'm in charge. Does this sound familiar? Nobody. I never met anybody like that. Well, you guys are amazing. This is what entered. Wages, 
and wisdom. That's part of the fallen human nature. And that's why we need revelation from the Lord. Somebody wrote this, The enemy won a terrible victory over man in the garden. Why? Because now that death had entered, no person could deal with his outcome. Why? Because they're born with a condition of death. They have the condition of death. For every person born is born with the disease of sin, the condition of death. And so the very nature of man is marred and bent. And part of that condition is that they also believe that they themselves can fix it. Hmm. Good news is coming. So, some years later, God says, all right, and he puts his law. We like, this is like a very big summary of the Bible. He puts his law into the earth with Moses. And he goes, boom, now I know the law is to, the law of, of Moses in the Old Testament is to reveal part of who he was, to reveal his nature, yes. But the Bible says that the reason, one of the reasons, there's many, but one of the main reasons that God put his law into the earth was to show people that they can't live up to it. And the Bible says that in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It says, so then the law was introduced. I'm reading this in the Passion because it's easy to easier to understand. To bring God's plan. Uh, the law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of human sinfulness out of hiding. The Greek says the law was given so that sin would increase. People are like, God wants you to sin more. That's not what it means. The law was given to let people see that you can't do it. And so the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they took the law and added things and changed it and kind of made it livable. Like, no, we can do it. That's why Jesus got so mad with the Pharisees. It's like, dude, you missed the point. You missed the point. I gave the law so that you could see and fall to your knees and realize you need a Savior. That was one of the major points. God was actually putting into the earth, this is my righteous requirement. You want fellowship with me? I demand perfection. That's what I demand, perfection. To show people you can't do that. You need a Savior. You need someone to come and do it because he actually loves you and wants fellowship with you and relationship with you and to touch your life and to give you a purpose and he has a plan for you. But that fallen wisdom goes, I can do it. And he goes, no, you can't. You really can't. And the Bible teaches us that that is why God institutes the law. So man needs to be delivered. Man does need a rescuer. So now what? Well, Romans 8 says this. You can go to Romans 8. It says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, meaning the law was applied to people that still have this condition of death. So they couldn't. It was weakened because of the condition within man. Does that make sense? It says, What the law could not do, because it was weak through the flesh, God did. That's what we need to see. What the law could not do, God did. How? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, the condition of death. The law has the power and the ability to point to the problem. It's the thermometer. 
you have a temperature, but it can't remove the temperature. It just tells you there's a problem. I always liken it to the law on my back, and I'm going hiking, and there's five bears coming at me from every direction. And the law's like, problem, problem, but it does nothing to help me. It's like, problem, 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 problem. That's the law. It, it can shout, there's a problem. There's a problem with you. There's a problem with mankind. There's a problem in man's heart. There's a problem. There's a pro All through the ages, there's an issue. There's an issue. We're like, we know. But it can't, it will not lift a finger to remove it. It's there to point. The New Living Translation says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. I love that. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us His Son as a sacrifice for sin. Hmm. That is good news. God did what the law could not do. So we were made and created in the image and the likeness of God. And it's when that was bent and marred, Jesus, in a sense, says to the Father, you know what, Dad? Just modern vernacular. I'll go down, and I'll be made in their image and likeness. I'll be made after what we made to remind and to restore and to pay the price so they can one day, uh, so they can again be in our image again, free from sin. That's, that's what Romans 8 is saying. So the first truth, and I, this is a major, major truth, and I, I pray that we see it and that it sets you free. Jesus didn't just die for you. He did, but he died as you. He had to be it had to be a substitutionary sacrifice. That's why the blood of bulls and goats would never have worked. It was a stopgap. And every day, literally every day, every year, every month, every week, the blood of bulls and goats. Why? Because it has to be innocent blood. But it's not a substitution. The law says a life for a life. The Bible says that. Let's go read it. Philippians 2. Talking about Christ, who being in very nature God, meaning without the condition of death. He was fully man and fully God. Fully God in nature, fully man in physical likeness and form. Who being in very nature God, without that issue, did not consider, consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, meaning what? He had to earn it. Please see that. He had to earn it. He could not make a mistake. We say, well, you can't earn it. That's true. But he had to. And he did. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
all the demonic realms. And that every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Read you another scripture, Hebrews 2. Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he too shared in, his, in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him, the devil, who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held subject by their fear of death or in slavery by their fear of death. And I trust this truth comes alive in you. It says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. For since by man, first Adam, condition of death after the fall of man. For since by man came death, death came through sin. By man, capital M, Messiah, Son of God, no condition of death. By man came resurrection. For as in Adam all die, you're born dead in sin. You're born dead spiritually. You're alive physically, but you're dead spiritually to God. That's why you need to be born again. Think about it. As in Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. Jesus did not die for you only. He died as you. Friends, He had to. He had to. Because otherwise, the integrity and the justice of God would be compromised. And this would all cease to exist anyway. God's throne is built out of righteousness and justice. And the law says, a life for a life. So he said, Dad, I'll do it. I'll go down. By man came death, so it had to be a man. It had to be a man, fully human, fully God, fully human. It had to be a man to make an atonement as a substitution for mankind. It had to be. We have to understand that. This brings another truth to our shores. Jesus didn't defeat death with divinity. Oh, sometimes I've said this in the past and people go, whoa. He didn't. He had to do it as a man. He defeated death with what? Sinlessness. The wages of sin is death. So he came without the condition of sin, without the condition of death, without inherent sin, and he lived a sinless life so that when he died and shed his blood on the cross for the remission of sins, there was no sin, therefore no wage, therefore no death. He had to do it as a man, friends. This is actually what the Bible teaches. Otherwise, why not just do it up from there? It's not like the devil is a threat to God. We have to understand. He made the devil. He's not like, oh, no. It's not a threat. He could just like, meh, that's done. <laughs> Literally. He's not afraid. He's not scared. Why not do it from there? Why come down? Why come in the image and likeness of people that he created? Why suffer? When he was on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22. He says, they've pierced my hands and my feet. And he says, I can count. And he didn't say this on the cross, but he was quoting Psalm 22, which says, I can count all of my bones. We don't realize how he suffered. All the flesh torn open, most, most of it off. And they pierced him and whipped him and beat him and spat on him and mocked him and hit him and 
Why do that? He could have just done it from there. He said, no. Because I love them, but also, Father, because I love you, I'll do it as a man. He didn't just die for you. He had to die as you to be a substitutionary sacrifice in your place. He had to. God could have just started again. Just, you know, you're writing a letter, start again. He, that is actually his prerogative. He could have said, nah, no. Why didn't he? Why didn't he? You ever ask yourself that? Is it just me that sits up at night thinking about all the stuff? Probably. I do. I just goes, why? I'll tell you why. For God so loved the world. Because he loves you. That he gave his only son. Picture death. My wife says, man, when you say that, it just helps me understand. This is actually what happened. Picture death. The Bible talks about death as the last enemy. It talks about death as a person. Yeah? Imagine death, okay? I actually told my sons this the other day. I lived like the Easter story. And I did it in a funny way so they could understand. Imagine here's death. Like, here it is. It stands. And every person that's come down has the wage in them, the wage. They've earned death all their life by their actions. They've earned it. Every person that's come down and stood in front of death, he's like, I'm owed to you. Why? Because there's a condition of death inside of you. I'm owed to you. I'm owed to you. You can't escape. That's why the Bible says the grave holds everybody fast. And here comes Jesus. And he comes down. No condition of death. Imagine what that was like. Death is like, uh, hmm, hmm, I'm not, I don't, hmm. Satan, Satan's like, don't look at me, I thought we won. It's like, someone, anyone. That's how he overcame it. He said, I'm, you are not owed to me, I'm in charge of you. Give me the keys. That's literally what he did. That's why the Bible says he is the captain of our salvation. He went into the deepest recesses of the earth and he took captivity itself. He took it captive. He said, I don't have you in me. The devil has nothing in me. The world has nothing in me. Come here. That's what he did. It's true. You know, even, even as the, a Jewish person, not me, the Lord, he was crucified, hear this, on Passover. Right? Obviously from Exodus. The angel passed over because of the blood. He was crucified on Passover. He was in the tomb. What was the next day? On the day of unleavened bread. What does leaven stand for in the Bible? Sin. He was in the grave, in the tomb, with his sinlessness winning over death. On the day of unleavened bread, he was there. And he was raised on the day of first fruits. Hello. Because the Bible says, if he was raised, I will be too. If he walked out of the grave, I'm going to walk out of the grave. On the day of first fruits. And that's why a whole bunch of other people came alive with him. Imagine that. That's what the Bible says happened. Because there was no condition of death. So, the life of Jesus at his death 
and resurrection. Let's talk about that. John 1. Let's go and read that. Let me ask you a question. If there was no condition of death in Jesus, what was there? Who knows? Life is not hard. It's the opposite. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. Not the condition of death, life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome or comprehend it or even understand it. In Christ was life, and not just any life, not just any life, God life, the source of life. What did it say just before that? In Him, all things were made through Him. There was nothing that made that wasn't made through Him. Then it said, and in Him was life. What life? The, the power that created things, the power of that life was in Him. Power in Him, like brimming, just life. Everyone He touched, life. The life that made everything you see, it's life eternal. I call it God life. What does it say? God so loved the world that He gave, he gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him should have life. What did Jesus say in John 10? I have come that they may have life. life. He was speaking to people that were alive. Think about it. They were alive. They weren't dead physically. They were alive. And he said, I've come to give you life. They're like, we have, we have. Because that life was not what God intended. This life that he had, I'm going to give it to you. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And this is how Jesus himself spoke of death. He refers to himself as a seed. You know that it is the very first title or, or name ascribed to the Messiah is the word seed all the way back in the early part of the book of Genesis. God said to the woman, my seed will, I said to Satan, my seed will crush your head. It's the first name given to him. What did he say about his death? The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, a kernel of wheat or a seed, some translations say, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. If I hold a seed in my hand, if I, it was a, whatever, an apple seed, in that seed is actually an orchard. It's limitless, you know, because all the trees and all the seeds, and you plant those, I hold millions of orchards in a seed, the potential. But once I plant it, and it breaks open and dies, I will never be able to hold that seed again. Jesus said, should I run from this hour? He said that after he said what I just read. Should I run? But for this hour I have come. He said, I have come into the earth as a seed. I have to die. And Peter tries to stop him. I love Peter. No, Lord. Mm -mm. You're not. Mm -mm. It's like Peter, just shush. 
I have come to die. I have to die because I'm like a seed. I have in me life. And unless I die, that won't come out. We have to understand that. He was, the Bible says that the rock that Moses hit and the water came out, the Bible says that was a representation of Christ. Jesus had to be hit by his creation. Whooped, hit, beaten. And every time, beard pulled out, crown of thorns, life comes out, life comes out, life comes out. Every time. That is why he came. He said, I have to be struck, Peter, in a sense is what he's saying. Now, what did that look like on the day? And I had a whole wonderful thing about this, but we can go through it. But we'll just read and make some comments quick. What did it look like? If you were there on the day, what did it look like? When the life of God, when the Son of God, when that with no condition of death, the Messiah, was killed. What did it look like? Well, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, that's not six o'clock to nine o'clock, it's, it's noon to three o'clock, middle of the day, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's quoting Psalm 22, by the way. And some of those who stood there when they heard it said, this man is calling for Elijah. They didn't understand Aramaic. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. That's when he said, it is finished. And yielded up his spirit. Then, behold... The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, the rocks were split, the graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So, what did it look like? Very quickly. Well, in the middle of the day, darkness. And you know, I've looked, you can go do the research. This was not an eclipse. NASA has charted it, said it was not an eclipse. But an early, uh, the Roman historian Phlegon or Phlegon from like 100 and 200 AD, they called it that then because they didn't have a way to understand it. But Passover, which is the day it was, in order for an eclipse to happen, it has to be a full moon, uh, new moon. Passover happens at full moon. It was physically impossible impossible. And yet, it says darkness. The word in Luke says the sun was obscured. Phlegon, the historian who was from that time, said this, there was an extraordinary eclipse, that's the only thing they could understand, of the sun. At the sixth hour, this is a non-Christian historian, the day turned into dark night so that the stars in heaven were seen. And there was an earthquake. Darkness, zhoo, lights out, literally. Why? Why? In the book of Exodus, at the original Passover, which was pointing to the real, Jesus was the real, that was the shadow, and there was darkness for three days. Three days. It says, I couldn't even see one another. Darkness that can be felt. And that darkness preceded the life of either the firstborn son in the world in Egypt or the lamb that was to take their place. And so when the real came, there was darkness for three hours that preceded the life of the Son who was the Lamb. It all is there. 
It's actually the testimony of the heavens, the testimony of the cosmos saying, this is the Lamb. This is the real thing. Not that. This. And then <laughs> the veil's torn in two, top to bottom. I said this to the people last night. It was four to six inches thick, woven. It says that horses couldn't pull it apart. It was six, this is more than twice the height of this building. It was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide. It was torn from the top to the bottom. They said it would have sounded like a gunshot. That loud. Because it's so thick. It's actually from the top. You can't do it. It's impossible. When they had to move it, it said it takes 300 priests to manipulate it. It was so heavy. No man or beast could do that. And so God rips that thing. Because he said, finally, it's fulfilled. Finally. And I can come out and they can come in. This is actually what happened. Now imagine you were there on the day. You're walking around the temple. You know how loud it would have been? And that was the same time the lights came on. Sun, you know, it's dark. Then the light comes back. And then, wah! And then an earthquake. You're like, what's going on? That's, that's what it was like on the day. Then there was an earthquake. That's the very next thing that happened. And there's three earthquakes to consider here very quickly. The first one is with Moses. The earth shook. The earth shook when the first covenant was established, the law. The earth shook when Jesus died. Why? Because the law fulfilled. And then the earth shook when he rose. Why? New covenant. The testimony of the heavens, the testimony of the law, the testimony of creation, the testimony of the earth. This is the Messiah. This is who made us. We have to understand that the crucifixion of Christ at his death, he was our rock being struck, being hit. Why? To release the life of God inside of him like a seed. The heavens bowed, the curtain torn, the earth shook. And yet with all of that, with all of that, the Bible says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. What? The Bible says that by his death you are redeemed. By his death you are reconciled, which means God doesn't just have to love you, he actually likes you. The Bible says by his death the curse was removed. By his death the forgiveness was provided for sin. By his death. And yet then it says in 1 Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sin. Why? <laughs> Why? Because without the resurrection, friends, we cannot be reborn. Why? This is why. Very quickly. If Christ did not rise, it's actually because he would have not been found sufficient by the Father. He would have had... Con it's like he had to be sufficient. He had to be inspected as the Lamb. And if Christ did not rise, it was the Father who rose him up. That was the, you've done it. Well done, son. If he didn't rise up, he would not have been found sufficient. And if he didn't rise up, there would be no blood in the, high, in the mercy seat sprinkled on the mercy seat in the highest tabernacle in heaven. And you would be in your sin. If Christ did not rise, there would be no advocate. Christ is our advocate, the lawyer. He stands in the highest court 
which is the court of heaven. And when the enemy accuses you, he says, quiet, paid, paid by blood, paid by blood. He wouldn't be able to do that if he didn't rise. And if he did not rise, he could not send the Holy Spirit, which is actually a lot of what this is about. And only the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit, not intellect, not study, even, even though that helps, not doctrine, even though that helps, only the Holy Spirit can put this truth into a human heart. No one else. Every person, and I'll land with this, every person on the earth, we may like this, we may not. This is what the Bible teaches. Every person, I call it federal headship. Every person on the earth is either under the federal headship of first Adam or Jesus Christ. Everyone. And then under the federal headship of first Adam, just how you were born on the earth, you will face death. It is total in every generation, but you will face death with a condition of death. Good luck. For real. Every person in Christ will face death with a condition of life because his death caused the life of God in him to come out of him. It was like a spiritual atom bomb. Bah! And life. But his resurrection made it possible for him to put that life inside of you. His death released life like the rock with the water. But his resurrection... Now he can take that life and put it into you. So that one day when you stand before God, he says, oh, I see my life there. And death has no claim over you. It cannot touch you. Darkness cannot touch you. It cannot comprehend it, friend. The life that is in you, if you are a Christian, we have the life that is in you is the same life that created the cosmos. It has power. It's in you. And that is actually good news. That is good news. Because you couldn't do it. If you're here this morning, I'm here to tell you, you can't, if you do not know the Lord, you can't, you can't just live a good life. The church has made Christianity about morality. Jesus said it was about life and death. Jesus said, you can, so I can. And when you believe in me, I will take my life and my righteousness and I'll put it on you and you will be seen by God as if you live my life. That's called good news. And the church points at people in the world and says, you need to be better. How can they? Please hear me, how can they? Condition of death. This is the gospel. It's such good news. And when that life is brimming inside of you, oh, you see things different. You see people different. You have grace. Only the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can change a human heart. And He loves to do it. He loves to do it. The price was paid for you to be saved from the condition you were born in. That's the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit will change you. Yes. The Holy Spirit will take you through that. All of that is true. But it starts 
with something you can't do. You know, when he was in the grave on the day of unleavened bread, you know what else that day was? Sabbath. It's God saying, no one can do any work to earn what my son is doing. Only I can do it. Can we stand, please? If you're here this morning, I'm going to ask before you leave, and you'll know it's you, because your heart will be beating fast. Firstly, if you came because you were dragged here, thank you. I get it. Thank you. I was not a moral man. I was not a good man. But God, God changed me. And he's changed many in this room. It's not about you living up to something. It's about him living up to it for you. And he will change you and put life in you. And you will be different. And if you would like that new life, I would ask that you come and find me as soon as we finished and closed in prayer. It really is good news that he is risen. That he is risen. Because he lives, I live. Yeah? And one day when you die, you will walk out of that grave because he walked out of the grave. That's good news. It's good news. Can we pray? Can, I, can we all pray? Don't just listen to me. Let's all pray. Just under your breath. Just thank the Lord. Pray for those across this great nation today, across the world. Many people are hearing the gospel today. Lord, we pray for those who are hearing the truth of the gospel today in whichever form or way they hear it. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you grab a hold of people, that you snatch their attention and their affection, and that there are radical salvations today across the land as they hear the good news of Jesus, the God who left a throne to die for those he made. Lord, we thank you that you so loved the world that you sent your Son. What love is that? We thank you. And we celebrate you today. We honor you today. And we're going to go and have wonderful food with our family and have fun and enjoy the truth of Easter. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen.